You're listening to 101.9 FM KPCRLP Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here and welcome to Drinks with Tony. This week on the show we have Robert Dugoni chatting about his new book, Her Deadly Game. Join me April 3rd at the Los Feliz Public Library on Franklin and Hillhurst for a free creative writing workshop. That starts at 6 p.m. Feel free to check it out at the library website at lapl.org for more details. Also, in June, the library is going undergoing renovations. What does that mean? That means it's going to be free and online on Zoom. So join us then from anywhere in the world. If you want to join that, send an email to duchesne at gmail.com and I'll forward it to the library. And now, Robert and I discuss the super secret magic method of writing a novel, our mutual fear of flying, the cure for anxiety, saying prayers before rodeos, and so much more. Hi, I'm author Robert Dagoni, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show! Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Robert Dugoni. He's the author of Her Deadly Game. Robert, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm having a having a good day and a good week. So all is well. What is a good day for you? You know, a good day for me is I get up and I can get to my computer and I can work on my writing. And then uh, it's it's bright and shiny, shiny here in uh, Seattle. So this afternoon, I can go hit a bucket of golf balls or maybe meet a friend and, and play a little. It stays light till about six o'clock right now. So, you know, I can go out at five o'clock, four o'clock and still have daylight. Did you, I took my first, I held my first golf club in my hand last week. I just started taking lessons. It's a blessing and a curse, Tony. Let me tell you. <laughs> they told, they told me they, uh, cause it was, the coaches were just, cause I was in the rain last week. We, we, it was like, there's 30 students in the class with three coaches. Three of us showed up, so we all had our um, specific coach because wow. we were the only diehards. It was dumping rain all over Los Angeles, yeah. And they had the putts in the inside, and then we were chipping outside yeah. into the rain, and then the rain stopped, and we had the whole putting green to ourselves, and we were, we were chipping. And I know all these words now. I know all these words. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting. Um hobby it's you know i look at it this way i've been playing for about three years i, I picked it up late also three year okay cool okay and um i look at it as a great walk you know if i play 18 i'm walking seven miles if i play nine i'm walking three and a half and i you know it's great exercise i lose weight in the summer and i so that i look at it positively that way and i i don't worry about my score too much you know i at picking it up at 58 years of age i'm, I'm never going to be you know Jack Nicholas, so I'm not going to worry about it. It's someone. Someone said, "Oh, you're going to drive in the cart." I'm like, "No, you walk." Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. I, I, I didn't just have hip surgery. I walk. Come yeah. on. Uh, you, you and I've had double hip surgery. Really? I've had both my hips replaced. Oh, yeah. we talked. Did we talk about that last time? Were you pretty fresh off of the operating table? I think. I, I think I might have been. Yeah. Wow, that's right. So uh, two new hips. I can't get through the airport, you know, without being stopped 42 times. But uh, yeah. it's great on the golf course now. I have no pain. Right. And then how how is your roundhouse kick? Is it still there? No. <laughs> Never <laughs> was, though, so I'm not, not going to worry about that. <laughs> oh, that's great. So that it's um, what a blessing it is then. I mean, to be out on the golf course, though. Yeah, I, you know, and that's how I look at it. I really do. I'm, you know especially you're out on a day like this and you're with some people you like and you're, you're, you're swinging a golf club is, you know, it's beautiful. The air is crisp. Yeah. I'm not going to let my score ruin it. Just not going to, not going to do that. And they, you know, this is new to me, but they were just like, Oh yeah, you can practice anytime you can come up and chip or you can like use the green. And what, what what's the cost again? What they want to practice, Jim, $2. Wow. Yeah, I know. I'm like, are you kidding me? Wow. I'll be, uh, if when I I don't even know how to buy clubs yet. That's coming. When I do, I'm going to be up there with my coffee every morning, and it's just they're going to see me and go, "Ah, oh, this guy. We told him two dollars three years ago, and he still only gives us two bucks." <laughs> well, don't rush to buy your clubs. Get a feel for what you really like to hit because clubs are different. 
So, you know, and if you go, go to somebody really knowledgeable that yeah. will fit you so that you get in the right set. What, when did you get your clubs? How long have you played? Well, so I've been playing for three years and I'm the only guy with a 17 handicap who has three sets of irons <laughs> because, you know, I had a set of irons and I wasn't hitting well. I had a good buddy who said to me, try these. I tried his clubs. I hit them really well. So I got those regrips. Then I went and got fitted for clubs. And after I got fitted, I gave six months, tried for six months. I couldn't hit them. Went to the golf pro who, you know, was working with me and he said, it's a, that's a tough club to hit. You know, you may get there, but so I went back to my original clubs because he saw them and said, these are great clubs. And I got those regrip. So now I'm playing with uh, Callaway uh, steelheads and I, but I have two other sets of irons in, in, in my office here <laughs> and, you know, we'll see what happens. It's, you know, that's, I'm finding that's kind of the theory of everything. Like even audio, like I've bought an audio equipment over the years and uh, you just, when you're at the beginning, you're like, oh, I need a really good microphone for interviews. And then they're like, well, go with this because this is really good for interviews. And you're like, oh, okay, this kind of works. But And then like three or four microphones later, you finally find the microphone that you're like, oh, wait, this is what I've been wanting. Why didn't they know? But no one knows because it's what it's how it works with you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I always tell people, you know, you may pay a little bit more, but if you get the right clubs, they'll last you forever. Yeah. And I, and I just want, and I just want to walk around town with them because I don't look like a golf guy. <laughs> it's going to be like, what is that bum walking around with clubs for? I'm like, oh yeah, just go and golf. Now. So, <laughs> just keep walking around my block with them. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a lot of fun. I, I've been wanting to try golf. Oh yeah. Did you try, did you start when COVID started or was it before? Pretty much. Pretty much yeah. Okay. Right, right about that time. Um, and they closed the club down, you know, for a while, but right. uh, it opened up and, you know, it was great. It was something you could do because it was outdoors and you're not on top of somebody else. And it was, it was, it was great. It was a lifesaver. You know, I, I, I feel bad for all these young people and elderly people who are really captives in their homes, you know, had to come home from school and all those things. My day didn't change. You know, I got up and I walked down the hallway and I sat, got in my office and I wrote, you know, for six, seven, eight hours. And then I jumped in the car and I drove out to the, to the golf course. Uh, it was a pretty good, pretty good life given what, you know, some of the difficulties other people were having. God, that brought me down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bugging you. The, um, do you think golf changed the way you write? Did it go that far? N no, but I think there, there, there are two things that have a lot in common which is there's only certain things you can control, right? I mean, I can control the writing process and I can write the best book that I want to write, but I don't control the marketing and the publicity and a lot of those other things. I have a say in it, but you know, ultimately that has to come down to other people doing their jobs. And I'm a big believer in allowing other people to do their jobs. Um, on the golf course, you know, I can go take lessons and I can go out there and I can play, but there's certain things that are just out of my control. I can hit a great shot, but in, land in a sand trap and then take three shots to get out of a sand trap. And instead of a, a par, I've got a triple bogey. You know, I can hit the only branch hanging over the, the <laughs> area that I'm hitting the one tiny branch I hit. Right. And, and I think the thing that you come to realize playing golf is um, you do the best you can and uh, your score is irrelevant. And, you know, for me, I, I write the best books that I can write. And, uh, you know, after that, I, I have to rely on other people for doing their job. And then, you know, certain readers are going to have certain tastes, certain likes, uh, and they're going to love some of the stuff I do. And those there'll be other readers. that's just not their ballpark. It's not it's not not what they want to read. It's not it's not in their wheelhouse. And so, you know, um, but I, I don't control that. I can just control what I what I put out. So it sounds like you were already well taken care of mentally as a writer, and then you just started playing golf. Yeah, and then it ruined me. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, because you have such a great take on it, and then is, <laughs> did golf change your life? No. It's, I mean, it's kind of the same, but, you know, I have a great take on uh, writing, though. So Easy to say, hard to put in practice, you know, all the time. 
Very true. Yeah. There's sometimes I'm like, why did that book get picked up? And I'm, you know, then it's, yeah, but I don't know, like jealousy thing. Like, I don't know if you ever get that little twinge sometimes. Like, why is that person getting this? I know that person. They don't put in the work. They just dress the right way. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I don't do that anymore. I'll be honest with you. I just, yeah, how do, how do I stop doing that? Oh, I'll, that, this is my cry for help. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I look at it this way. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to do what I love to do. Yeah. Right. And I, I answer only to myself. I tell people I have one shitty employee. Yeah. Right? And that's, yeah. Uh, and so it's a, it's a good life. It, what, you know, it's a good life. And if somebody else, you know, has success, then I'm that I'm happy for them. You know, it's great because the more books that sell, the better for our industry. I mean, the biggest problem now is this this concern that you know the next generation coming up. When what do they call it, Generation G or Generation X? They don't read. You know, and so what's going to happen to the book world? And then you see what's going on in Florida with books being taken out of classrooms. You know, because of certain things that parents don't want. I mean, there's so much. There's such an attack that I'm just happy that somebody's out there, you know, like the JK Rowling's of the world when they, they're able to sell, you know, millions and millions of books. That's a good thing for all of us. Oh, I, I agree a hundred percent on that. And the, um, I was, I thought, Oh my God, this was a few weeks ago. I saw a young guy. And I think, I think he was reading, he was reading Henry Miller. He was reading Henry Miller's Tropic of Cancer and he had to be like 20. And I walked out there and I'm like, and wow. he was outside the cafe. And I'm like, dude, how are you liking that? He's like, it's really good. And I, and I was just like, sitting there. all I was, was just so happy that there was a young guy reading Henry Miller. It just, yeah. it was, it was like, see if I was Catholic and I just saw the Pope. <laughs> Murphy's law. I closed the door. My dog wants to go out. Hang on. Oh yeah. 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 Sure. Come on, man. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. What's your dog's name? Maddie. Maddie, how did how did you name your dog? She was named after Madison Bumgarner, the pitcher for the San No Francisco way. Oh, I don't no, no, hold on. Remember, I'm from San Francisco, dude. Matt. There you go. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was just watching um last night. I was watching uh this thing on YouTube of Madison Bumgarner versus uh Yasiel Puig and all their all their scuffles. And it's yeah, I'm what a great pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. He was, you know, we got Maddie, I think seven, eight years ago and he was in the throes of winning three world series and yeah, and it was a great game. A great name. She's a, a female Rhodesian Ridgeback and it just fit. So yeah. Does, does she stare at umpires? <laughs> <laughs> she loves men. That's the biggest problem. Oh, okay. You know, well, you know, I we, had don't a guy... know what, we don't know what Maddie Madison Bumgarner's true inside heart is. Maybe yeah. he, <laughs> She, uh, I, I had a guy in here washing windows the other day. My wife, my wife likes to send people to the house to do work while I'm working on, on my books because <laughs> I'm home. Right. Right. And so in comes this guy and, and my dog is sitting here and she just doesn't even bark at him. She just kind of looks up and I'm like, Oh, he belongs. <laughs> like, that is funny. But if, but if women come to the house, she barks, she barks, she barks wow. at the maids. Yeah. Yeah. She barks. Wow. I wonder, I wonder if she's got uh, some daddy issues. She's like, don't look at my daddy that way. I don't know. I, I don't know. know. Yeah. But she's, a, she's a good dog. It'd be fun to really get into the head of what a dog thinks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of it's just, uh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great comic strip called Red Rover. And it's about this little boy and he's got this dog and, he, and basically he talks to the dog, you know, he's a, and you can see a little kid talking to his dog this way. Yeah. It's pretty funny. And, and probably even understanding the dog probably understands the kid more than understands us, you know, so yeah. far away from our birth. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so out of touch with um, the, the dog is just like, dude, why can't you just be like, you know, your parents? Like, <laughs> why do they not know? Why do they not know? So, so you, you write, have, when did you start writing six to seven hours a day? Was there a point like on your first book, did you put in that much time during the day or was it, has it been consistent? And yeah, no, I, I, I always have really uh, okay. one of the, yeah. One of the things that practicing law taught me was how to work. Oh yeah. How to and to how to write. Cause that's a heavy writing gig. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, it's gotta be, gotta be short to the point because judges don't want to read a bunch of crap. Uh, so, you know, um, but it taught, it really taught me how to work and, you know, I'm kind of OCD, um, first one to admit it. So if I have a project, I, I want to get that first draft done quickly so I can then go to work on it. Um, and, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, how are you so prolific? I mean, how do you, how are you putting out all these books? Um, I just, I go to work every day. Yeah. I like that you, uh, said that you get the first draft out so you can go to work on it because the actual work is in revisions. Yeah, that it's a, that that first draft is the thing that's hardest I think for everybody because you don't know what what do you have right what exactly do I have here you I never go into a book you know, I don't know how it is for you but I never go into a book with a theme ever okay I just think to myself I a I don't want to be preaching to anybody right right and b you know I don't know what I'm writing about yet uh, and I just want I just want the character to come alive start talking to me. You know, and that's, that's kind of what happened in this book, you know, her deadly game. You know, I, I thought I had this idea of how it was going to go. And then all of a sudden this, this, you know, 30 year old woman starts talking to me about, you know, practicing law in her father's law firm, which she swore she would never do. And well, why not? And, you know, and then, then all that internal stuff that makes us uniquely us starts to come to the surface and your character starts to come to life. And that's all I really focus on. And that's the formula for writing. That's everything. Because people bang on, they're like, what's the structure? What They want the shortcut. And it's just like, no, you kind of got to write until your characters start talking to you and telling you what the story is. And it's, and it sounds like voodoo, but it's not voodoo. You have to sit there with them sometimes for six months and not know where anything is going. And then all of a sudden you're like, this is what I, this is what the gods are telling me to write. Yeah. And you know, people a lot smarter than me, you know, subscribe to that. Stephen King calls it telepathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diana Gabaldon calls it magic. Charles Dickens wrote uh, a Christmas Carol uh, that way. You know, if you wow. believe if you believe the biography, um, that's how he wrote it. You know, all, all of a yeah. sudden he had Scrooge in his home office talking to him, and it's, uh, and it's all of a sudden after putting in the the monumental ton of work that it takes to sit down. Like the, the, all of a sudden, the, I think a lot of people think all of a sudden you're walking down the street and you're like, I have an idea. And you go home and start writing. It's the first day you've ever written in your life. And that's not how it works. No, no, I, I, I failed. I failed miserably when I started, you know, and I, I had a background in writing. You know, I wrote, I wrote for the LA times before I went to law school and I wrote for, you know, newspapers in high school and college. And, uh, but I failed miserably because I didn't know how to write a novel. And, you know, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a distinct formula for it like anything in life and so then people say well i don't want to write formulaic i'm a, i'm an artist well that's not where the art comes in the art comes in the the beauty of the language the uniqueness of the characters that you create that's where the beauty comes in but storytelling has been the same for you know thousands of years you know let me tell you a story about this little boy and in the beginning and something happens and then we did and then he ran into all these obstacles and then boom there's this clock i mean that's been going on forever and so it was when I finally said to myself, okay, I don't know what I don't know. And I went, went to the bookstore at the advice of some friends who had given me the, the names of some books to, to read, like Christopher Vogler's book, The Writer's Journey, Saul Stein's book on writing. And I got those books and I just studied the hell out of them. And then I started buying some other books and I studied the hell out of those. So I always say to people what you just said, which is, yes, my characters will start talking to me and I feel comfortable to let them talk to me and begin to write the story. But that comes after 25 years of just program story structure. You know, it's, it does, it does, it's not just I just didn't start doing this yesterday. I, I've studied a lot. I've worked very hard on, on my craft and on getting better. Now, when they talk to me, I know sort of how this is going to unfold. I, yeah, I, I like that. I also, and I also think that we, if, when we're not writing yet, we're always consuming story, you know, and, and especially as if you want to be a writer, you have to be reading. Yeah. If you want to be a novelist, you have to be reading fiction. And it blows my mind that people go, I got a great idea for a novel. I'm like, great. Who do you, who do you read? Who do you, uh, I read manuals. What? No, you have to, you don't understand. You you can't just have a one-way conversation. You have to read fiction like crazy to get it. Yeah, and that's, I mean, you're right. I mean, that's, for nothing else, it, it helps you understand what works and what doesn't work and why didn't it work? You know, what was it about it that it didn't work? Or you read something and you go, wow, wow, holy crap. That is yeah. just, that's artistry. 
You right. know, I didn't see that coming. You know, you like to think you're a pretty, pretty discerning reader. And then all of a sudden you get hit with something like completely out of the blue. You're like, wow, uh, that's what makes for great books. That's the, I don't, I, I don't know if I was reading Ulysses when we talked last time. I may have, I think I started that after we talked like last year. I read still, it. For, are you still reading it? <laughs> no, I, I finished it. I read it last year for the first time. And um, well, not for the first time it was, I read it all the way through for the first time. I've tried like 10 years ago and 20 years ago to read it. And I'm like, yeah. and it's, you know, 20 years ago, me was, what is this crap? And 20 years ago to me, wouldn't have understood. Not, no, would not have even cared. And I read it last year. And I was like almost in tears at the, at the end. And I, oh. I did have a little bit of a guide though. I, I kind of, I needed to be kind of stay on track of what's, you know, the era. Cause it's a hundred years ago, what's happening and kind of, you know, he switches narration and all that stuff in there. And it's like, okay, now here's what he's doing. Right. It's going to confuse you. Right. And then, and the, what, um, one of the, one of the lecturers that I was listening to, he said, the first time you read Ulysses is the second time you read Ulysses. And I was just like, I got to read this again. And then I'm like, oh crap. At the afterwards, I was like, I got to read this again. I was like, oh man, I read that. And I'm like, I can never write again. Yeah. It's yeah. done. I there's I can't do this. And then I went and then I and then I looked at my bookshelf and no way. I was like, oh wait, no, no, I could do a lot of that. I just can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. You have to you have to kind of know what your limits are and what your limitations are and what you're good at. Um you know, with with the book Her Deadly Game, uh, you know, I, I was asked, it's a legal thriller, but it's it's also a police procedural and it's also got family dynamics in it. Well, that's what I do. I mean, I, I've been doing that in, in a lot of my books since from the very beginning, you know, the Tracy Crosswhite books. There's there's a lot of family dynamics uh, because that's who we are as human beings. We're not just who we are as, as workers. It's not it's not here's my job. So now you know everything about me. A lot of times it's here's my job. You don't know anything about me. You know, and so there's a whole nother person that I think readers want to get to know. And, you know, that's what I do. And so that's what I focus on. I'm not going to ever win a Pulitzer Prize for my for my, you know, beautiful uh, artistry or anything like that. But I, I'm hoping that I can get people to turn the page. I, but you just set yourself up. I mean, what if they offered you the Pulitzer Prize and then you they wait, they hear this interview and they go, wait a second. We were going to give it to Robert. Now nah, he said that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's on record. <laughs> I'd take it in a heartbeat. <laughs> totally. Yeah. The, um, but the, what the, the under the, the great thing about these stories is exactly, it doesn't matter what these people do. It's seeing behind the screen <clears throat> behind the, you know, seeing into the person. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that don't know, um, you know, if, if I'm reading a, a, a great book and it's a policeman, uh, that's the character I'm in the heart, not because it's a cop. I'm in the heart because I I'm learning about this character and I'm learning, you know, this guy has an inner wound and wait, what if the cop I see on the street next has the same kind of inner wound and wait, yeah. and then all this empathy comes in when I used to, you know, be a little snot nosed kid and flip the cops off. So. Yeah. 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 No, I, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I've had people say to me, why is it? It seems to them that a disproportionate number of successful authors don't, don't start to become successful until they're in their forties or fifties. Mm-hmm. You know, the woman that just wrote uh, um, lessons in chemistry um, is a, is a, you know, middle-aged like I am. And, you know, the, the answer I think is, what the hell do you know at 20 years of age? <laughs> you know? Well, it, it, this I've, I've, I've seen, a, I've seen a pattern here sometimes, especially on the best selling list when it's anyone under 30 is they write about ad agencies. <laughs> just, here's another quirky ad agency book. And then the, and then the reviewers are like, Oh my God, I just got out of business school. And I get this. Cause I, I was at an ad agency too. And, and so all the ad agency people kind of understand each other. And then, and then after a while it's, it's like, did they get out of the ad agency phase? Great books, by the way. Great books. Good job. Are you out of that phase yet? Please. Yeah. Are you out? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Quir- like- quirky cubicle. We're done. We yeah. got it. We got it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, there there are some people that are the exception. You know, uh, my buddy, Greg Hurwitz, you know, he he started getting published when he was young. Uh, but he wrote, you know, he, he wrote spy stuff and his characters mm-hmm. weren't young. And 
Um, and I think Greg would be the first one to tell you that he's gotten better as he's gone on. Um, so I think it's the rare person uh, that, you know, really can find their stride at a, at a young age. And it's, and the, and also it's the lovely, the lovely um, part of this gig is we're not underwear models. Our time limit is not limited. We can be going yeah. into our nineties. I, you know, um, it, it, and it blows my mind because if you're writing that long, you are gathering more and more wisdom, more and more knowledge and yeah. blowing my mind. I just, I, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I'd like to publish 50 books. I think that would be really pretty cool. What number uh, is this one? Uh, 25, I believe. Oh yeah. Oh, easy. So <laughs> <laughs> all right. From, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> you know what I've done? Well, you know what I've done more than almost any other authors done uh, percentage wise. I want to double that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm hoping for five. <laughs> you know what that means is what you just said is it means I'll be writing into, you know, my, my glory years, my old, yeah. my old age, yeah. which is great. Um, I, I don't want to retire. You know, I don't, I don't have any desire to retire. There's that's the lovely thing. Like what, who wants to retire? that's that blows my mind when people are all excited to go retire one day in their seventies to Mexico. And I'm like, do you know anybody in Mexico? Yeah. yeah. Who's who, who are going to be your people? I'll be on the beach. I'll love it. Yeah. I'll give you 10 days. Yeah. And, and if <laughs> my, my son, my son has been big on giving me these self-help books and I've read, I've read three of them uh, now and, and all three, one was on, you know, physical, one was on the brain. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, training your brain and all of them say the exact same thing, which is exercise multiple days a week, including lifting weights. Uh, watch what you eat. Don't diet because diets don't work. They're fast, yeah. but just when you're not hungry, don't eat when you're, when you're eating and you're full, stop eating. And then the third thing is what you just said, have a community, have something yes. that gets bed in the morning have something that you're excited about that you go do it might be volunteering at your local church it might be you know going and playing golf whatever it is get out you know be with people do things that you enjoy yeah we are such social creatures it blows what, my mind COVID was so difficult for all of yeah. us right yeah yeah no it blew, it blew my mind yeah it's um i i you know it's i and, and sometimes i wish that the human collective got smarter after covid you know <laughs> I feel like I'm like, hey guys, you know, this is great, but let's reflect on where we were a year ago. You know, yeah. it's, can we just, I mean, I hate to bring up bad stuff, but this is like within 18 months ago, we couldn't do this. Well, <laughs> can and, we you know, how, meditate on that? Yeah. And how about, how about the whole thing? And nobody, none of the, especially young people, they don't want to go back to into their offices. They don't want to go back to work. They want to work from home. Yeah. And I, don't, I just, I, that is so foreign to me. I don't understand it because you know, some of the best years of my life was when I was young and I was an attorney and I was working with a group of people I really liked, but I was out of the house all day. I went and played softball, whatever, you know, lawyer league softball. And, you know, I, I started doing theater in San Francisco as well on top of it. I mean, it was just having a community, having people that you, you, you liked and you, you know, I don't understand this wanting to work at home. I mean, I, I do it now, but you know, I'm 60 years old. I mean, uh, but I still have to get out every day. I have to get out. I yeah. don't care what the weather's like. I got to get out. Yeah. That's the, I have to get out. I have to write outside most of the time, not on a laptop. I have, I handwrite or I'm line editing, but it's cause I can't bring my computer outside yet. <laughs> I'm still that Luddite. <laughs> like, like 20 years ago, I was really upset that the cafe on in Bernal Heights was putting in um, Wi-Fi, and I got really mad at them. And I'm just like, you guys are going to ruin everything. And it's just, they didn't ruin it. It's like the world was just ruined. It's just yeah. enjoy it. But um, I don't even know where I was at. Oh, but the getting out is so important. And it's, you you have to be around people. If you, I don't know how these, well, I guess, you know, and that's why in prisons, people are scared. Of, you know, even if you're in a violent population, people are more afraid of being in solitary than they are of being in a violent population. Cause that's how crazy social we are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like we're that crazy social. We'll be, we'll, we'll accept problems. We yeah, want that, problems. That'd be terrifying. Just yeah. terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I found out my cousins in prison, so <laughs> I'm all dark. 
I'm like, I haven't seen that guy in 10 years. He, he, what? <laughs> I was uh, like, how am I part of this family? How, what, how, how did I, how did I get out of this craziness? Scary. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I think we have choices in our lives, especially now, you know, we have, we have choices in our lives where it's just like, you know what? Fentanyl might not be a good idea. You know, is that, I mean, I don't know who picks that stuff up now and suddenly goes, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. Yeah. Apparently, oh, wait, is that fentanyl? Something. Can I try some of that? <laughs> yeah. I just, I just read something where the, the morgues in Seattle are, are overflowing because of all the fentanyl deaths. And I'll, I'll bet it's like that all around the world. You know, and I, I get, I get it because the human condition is scary. And because we go to our dark places, I get wanting to escape, but I also get wanting to live more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's a, it's a, it's a real crisis. And I don't know, I don't know where the answer is, what the yeah. answer is. You know, I, mental health. I don't know. Um, but it's, they, it's a, yeah. It's, I, and I believe that's why my cousin finally ended up in prison was, you know, he's doing stuff that you're not supposed to do to other human beings, but once you get on the hard drug stuff, it's, uh, yeah, it's hard. it doesn't leave. There's no more fun. Maybe the first time's fun, yeah. <laughs> but then run. Yeah. Yeah, fast as you can, far as you can. Come back to reality where we sit here and weep after we've worked for six hours and go, I got nothing. I don't think I got nothing. And then, <laughs> what's your process, Tony? My process is weeping, and then and then I get back to it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, too funny. What do you think of the Giants this year? Um, you know, the longer I've been away, and the more. The guys are retiring. Yeah. You know, Buster Posey's gone now. And, you know, guys are starting to move on. Um, I've got, I've, I've become, I've always been a big uh, Mariners fan because they're in the American League. Right. I don't okay. have to root against them. Right. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't really have anything. I don't have an educated guess on how the, how the Giants will do this year. Uh, I have a feeling that they're going to end up middle of the pack. Um, yeah, yeah, might make, might make the playoffs, but probably not. Which makes me comfortable because that's the Giants I grew up with. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> yeah, Going oh out the Candlestick Park and freezing your ass off. Yes, yeah. and I miss those days. I miss those five dollar bleacher seats. Yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> and when I you hit to... your heels against those metal things, and it would just like right, even the even the bleacher cameras on TV, you would just see them rocking, and you knew it was because all the fans <laughs> were just banging the metal. <laughs> yeah so i you know i don't know um i don't know i don't know and i don't know what they got in their farm system you know they used to always have pitching pitching was always coming up yeah and uh, i think losing bochi uh hurt them yeah. you know um I, so we'll see you know I, I teams always end up surprising us right the year they a couple years ago they won 104 games and that really, was crazy yeah. yeah yeah that that was that was a crazy series so and that's the year uh, we got robbed by that umpire right yeah, that's the one they call. He called the strike on that guy. That was it. Yeah. And then that was it. Just like, and then the Dodgers go. That's like just stab our hearts even more. If it was the Diamondbacks, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't hurt as much. But it's the Dodgers. You can't do that against the Dodgers. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Thank God for the Houston Astros, right? <laughs> <laughs> Every time I even hear the team, the team name, I just I hear a a, a garbage can being. Bung, yeah. Bung. <laughs> yeah yeah i was just in houston i went back to houston to visit some friends on my way back to um naples italy i did a big book event back in naples so i no way stopped. oh cool yeah we stopped in um not naples italy naples florida excuse me oh my god i was just that's yeah, two no, very naples, different florida. things dude <laughs> uh, so we stopped in uh we stopped in houston and um it you know it was like i dropped on another planet uh, it's just, it's really just a different place. Cool. Very interesting. You know, very, for someone that doesn't live there to, you know, to go to a rodeo and see all the cowboy boots and hats and pants. I mean, and it, you know, it's funny, um, young men and young women are all the same all around the world, but they just diff dress differently where yeah. they live, you know? Uh, so it was, uh, it was, it was a really interesting sort of, you know, just study on human nature. 
It's and it, and you're so right about the regional thing. I was just thinking about that because Nick Cave tickets went on sale today for Los Angeles, and there's there's a gap in the dates, and he might play San Francisco. I know this is way too much information. <laughs> I'm a Nick Cave fanatic, but um, and I was and the tickets were so expensive. I'm like, I'd rather go to San Francisco because that's when I can see my old college radio friends, and everyone's gonna be at that show, so yeah. I'm gonna wait. Yeah. What was I bringing up? Oh, but I was thinking about it. And I was just like, it's so interesting because Los Angeles crowds have had an effect on me because crowds at uh, at venues are much more calm in Los yeah. Angeles compared to San Francisco. When you see right. when I, I've seen the Melvins a few times in Los Angeles and you stand there and watch. Yeah. And at first I was like, come on, everybody, let's go. And yeah. then now I'm like, I'm relieved to stand here and watch. And you go to San Francisco at the Great American Music Hall, and it's like the whole floor is a pit, and people are just flying over each other. Yeah. And but it's and even dressing, it's like in what you brought up, like dressing. Uh, it's also regional. We're also kind of we we're affected. Like I I was affected. I'm affected now. It's like I dress a little differently when I go see bands. I don't want to be noticed, and I just stand there. And what what happened? I've lived in Los Angeles for a while and it's all right. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting at the rodeo in Houston, they had an invocation. Now, tell me that, tell me you, you would see that in Seattle or San Francisco or... I don't know what that is. They, they had a, uh, a minister get up and do a, uh, basically a, a prayer. No way. 70,000 people in the stadium all took all, all stood up, took their hats off and they, yeah. they prayed together. Wow. And I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, it, to me, it was just, it was like, wow. Okay. You, this is not something you're going to see everywhere. It's just not. That's more interesting happen. to me than the rodeo. Yeah. I would was, go to the rodeo really just to be part of that. Yeah. It was, it was very, very interesting. Huh. Uh, you know, they, they did God bless America. Then they did the pledge of allegiance and, Wow. Yeah. I mean, we can't even get people to stand up for the Pledge of Allegiance in San Francisco, right? You know, right. Well, Catholic we could get, yeah, we could get people to pee on the flag before we can get them to salute the flag. That's, yeah, your yeah, public urination is legal only if it's on the flag <laughs> <laughs> in San Francisco. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm, margin I'm marginalizing the listeners. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, it was just it, it, interesting to be a part of it and to see it, you know, um, it, as, a, as a writer, you begin to file all that kind of stuff away a little bit. And, it, and it's also finding the truth of other cities. And I think that's something that we, and it, you know, I've also, I'm also a huge part of that myself because I don't know middle America. I know nothing. I'm from San Francisco. I live in Los Angeles. And it's just like to try to, you know, for me to say anything about having a prayer before an event, you know, more power to you. Cause I don't live there. I never yeah. grew up there. Yeah. It's it. It's kind of, it's kind of, um, you know, some people may get mad at that, but it's kind of like a lot of fun to go. Yeah, we are different. And just kind of, I, 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 I'm, uh, seriously, I'm planning a trip to Houston to go to a rodeo. I'll leave right after the prayer. <laughs> I'll be like, that was interesting. All right, who wants booze? <laughs> well, then I mean, then you get down. I get down into you know Florida, and um, I was really taken by the politeness, the mm. this the idea of Southern hospitality. I mean, even the per people working in the hotel where I was staying, you know, the the maids and everybody would greet me with you know, "Hello, sir, how's your day going?" Yeah, they, I mean, and, and to you know, everyone. It wasn't just like one one maid or or one porter or what. It was everyone had that kind of Southern hospitality where, you know, you said hello to people and you said, how's your day? And, and, you know, again, you don't, you don't see that uh, everywhere that you travel. I mean, I've traveled a lot, you know, for this job, you know, I've traveled probably, I think I've been in every state um, doing book signings and things like that. And so, you know, you, you do see the the differences in the, in the different regions of the United States. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. And even the different regions of cities, like in, you know, like in San Francisco, I remember the Mission District versus the Marina, yeah. you know, it's like, I was a Mission District scumbag, right? I'm just, that, I was just that guy. And my therapist was in the Marina. So I'd have to go out to the Marina and everyone would look at me like I was going to rob them. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, this is like 20 years ago. And it's just like, no, I just, I'm from the other side of the town. That's it. And then even in Los Angeles, it's like, I'm on the East side and it's just, you go to Santa Monica, 
it's like a different country over there. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't lived in LA. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to, I really love like understanding even the different neighborhoods and different, because you can go 10 miles and everything could be completely different. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. If you didn't live in Seattle and you couldn't have California, if they took all of those options away from you and out of your travels, what state would you be excited to spend the rest of your days in? Boy, I don't know. You know, I've, I've just become such a West Coast West Coast guy. Yeah, they took the West, the, the West Coast just it, it got erased. It's wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and we and <laughs> we don't have tornadoes. We don't have hurricanes. You know, we don't have any of that stuff. Um, right, right. I don't think I'd want to go to Florida because I'd always feel like I'm I'm just doing my time before I'm in my grave. You know what I mean? Do you think uh, that's because of the population? Because a lot of the population is kind of doing that. Yeah, and and everybody there is from someplace else. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you know, um, it's so, a settle. It, it, it's like I'm settling. And I, I'm sure there are areas in Florida where that's not the case, but you know, just places I've been, like Tampa and Orlando, and. Yeah. Naples and things like that. It's a lot of retirees who are kind of going down there and uh, later stages of life. So, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. Someone once told me the, the one place, I, one place I haven't been was in, um, uh, no, it just went into my head in New Mexico. Um, Santa Fe. Santa Fe. A lot of yeah. people Santa Fe is a great place. I keep hearing that too. I want to go. I want to you check know, it I'd out. Lo- I'd love to go visit it just because I've, I've heard it's just a fabulous, kind of a fabulous place. It's got a lot of art, you know, and culture and all those kind of things, but it's still not a big, huge city. You can kind of feel like you belong. And, and it had, but I, the problem with that one though, for this question is, I think it has a lot of West Coast transplants. Uh, okay. I think there's a lot of Los Angeles in Santa okay. Fe. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you right. would, you would never do anything on the East Coast. Um, when I was younger, yeah. I would have gone to New York in a heartbeat. Oh, okay. In a heartbeat. But yeah. I have been to New York probably 25 times. And it, the the glow has, I've lost the glow. It, yeah. To me, it's just, it's a big crowded city. And um, it would take a lot of adjustment for me to want to go live in a big crowded city. You know, um, might be fun for a little while, but to live there, that would be hard for me. Um, yeah. Boston, I like Boston, but the man, the winters, oh boy. Those, yeah, then you would need a summer place. I think I think the caveat to this question is you also get a summer place. There you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're writers. We could be mobile. We can we yeah. can rent out our places in the cold winters. Yeah, we we, we can be anywhere. Um that's an interesting question though. Um I've been back to Tennessee a fair number of times. Yeah. And uh you know, when I, I teach a seminar um called the novel writing intensive, and it's uh Tennessee is a is a place where a lot of people are moving because it's a uh, it's easy living. Um, you it? know, Nashville's not a huge city. Uh, it's got a lot of land, horses, which my wife really likes. Um, though, you know, Tennessee is a place where I know a lot of people have moved and really enjoy it. And I just found out that there was a musician that just moved to Nashville, and I think it was a big musician out of San Francisco. Oh no, not out of San- Henry Rollins moved to San uh, moved to Nashville. Oh. Out of LA, I just found out he's in Nashville now. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, so if the lead singer of Black Flags moving to Nashville, there's got to be something about it. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people just they they like Robin Williams was a great example of it, right? After the whole thing happened with John Belushi, he left. He left. He didn't want to. He didn't want to be in that environment anymore. He knew it wasn't healthy for him. Um, so I think you know, I I, I think there's I, I think there's some of that as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of the big name actors, they don't, they don't live in LA anymore. Yeah, A lot of them have places in Montana or, or wherever. And, and, you know, they can, they can travel if they need to, to, to film and things like that. But um, yeah, every place is different, you know, and, and yeah. it's, I think, I think home is where the heart is. Right. So where you grew up, you know, you don't think anything of it. It's like, this is how I grew This is what life is. This is what it's like, but it's, it's different. Once you start traveling, you start to realize, you know, oh, wow, there's no traffic here. Yeah, it's interesting. It took me into my 20s and I didn't get out of San Francisco that much. I was quite the opposite. I never even really traveled until I was in my mid 20s. Like I my plane, my airplane experience was very limited. So um, yeah, so I didn't know not every city has a major baseball team like this didn't even occur to my mind that you could be within. Wait, you have to drive. you, You stay the night in town when you go to a ball game. 
who does that? Yeah. Oh, wait, I have proximity status. I yeah. didn't know. Yeah. Well, you know, again, when we were down in Houston, uh, our friends picked us up at the airport. It was it was 55 minutes from their home to the airport. Wow. And they picked here you up. Seattle, yeah. Here in Seattle, I can catch an Uber and be at my gate in 28 minutes, 27 minutes. Wow. Now, I got to go to LAX uh, in a couple of weeks and I'm not looking forward to that. I know it's going to be a, a LAX to JFK. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. you give yourself a lot of time, right? Oh, yeah. You must have a lot of time. Sit there and stress out before the flight. Have the panic attack when they close the door and we're taxiing. And then when it takes off, then I feel better. <laughs> How do Are you, you do flight? Flyer? I am very anxious. I so used am to... I. Are I, you? I, well, I, I, I suffer from low levels of anxiety. Okay. I suffer and from so high levels. And what's that? I suffer from high levels. All right. So you know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's yeah. when I'm in motion, I'm fine. Yeah. It's the sitting and thinking that is not good. So when, right. I, when I get on the airplane, I'm in motion, then all of a sudden I sit and it's like, yeah. okay, now I'm waiting for the plane to take off. Oh yeah. Things start to build. Um, yeah. yeah. It's uh, I've, I've come, I've learned how to embrace it. It's part of who I am. It's, it's, it's why I get books done early. I've never missed a deadline because I'm, you know, a little OCD about things. Um, now that's not to say I, I embrace it that I want it. I, I do a lot of, you probably do the same thing. I do a lot of self-help type stuff, you know, yeah. meditation and those kind of things, which has helped me kind of learn to, to calm down and deal with things. But um, as I've gotten older, the thing that I've come to realize, Tony, is everybody has something. Yeah. Everybody. I can't tell you the number of people I'll go on tour and I'll be at a signing and I'll say something and I'll just very, you know, low key. I'll say, well, you know, I, I suffer from low levels of anxiety. So it, it, I'd like to get to places early. I'll get done with my, my book signing and I'll have five people waiting to talk to me and say, thank you for bringing it up because they deal with it. You know, and it's I think the more we talk about it, the less it becomes a stigma and the more it just becomes reality. Yeah. You know, like I have high blood pressure. I don't. But, you know, I have high blood pressure. I have high cholesterol. I have anxiety. It's you know, it's just it's it's something that it's not something we do. It's just part of our DNA. It, it's yeah, it's so true. And I, I I have my therapist does hypno hypnotherapy, too. Oh, so cool. when I told her I booked the tickets last week, she's like, do you want to do a hypnosis th- session and I'll tape it? And I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> and it's and even like, and I, I get anxiety when I go to the mall and I had to go, I haven't gone to the mall in years. I'm bringing up the mall right now. I went to the mall last week. Cause it's, cause this is a very jarring experience in my life to go yeah. to a mall, especially when you got to park far away and then just at every, and, and not to generalize, but 99% of people at a mall are stupid. Just pure <laughs> stupidity, dragging their feet, not one original idea on their head. They're just there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so all I want to do is just get through these people. And um, and I got totally lost at the Glendale Galleria. You know where that is in Glendale? I, I, I don't know. It's And it's like an outdoor mall. And it was like cold. And I left my jacket in the car because it was sunny but cold. And I was so far away from my car. And I didn't even know where my car was. And I got lost. And it, and I I carry usually carry clonopin on me just because for the high you know I I haven't you know I haven't used it the one in my pocket for years but having it there and knowing I can is everything yeah, yeah. and I was just like you know what I'm just leaving it in the car this time like I I specified last week to do that and I'm walking around and I'm like here it comes here it comes here it comes but when it came it wasn't as bad as before and yeah. when it came. I was just like, I almost was looking at it. It was weird. And it was so wonderful to get to, to be somewhere where I should be, you know, there's been, uh, there was a time five years ago where I was at Trader Joe's and I had to sit down and I couldn't get up. So I was sitting there for 45 minutes and the walk, like walking around me going, dude, are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't walk. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to go to the emergency room. They're just like, dude, He's had a panic attack, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" But well, um, I, think, I think if you can see it, you, you can identify it. I think you can deal with it. It's sort of like I, I'll say to myself, uh, if if I feel the anxiety coming on, I'll say, "You're in the back seat." 
you don't get to come in the front seat. You stay in the back seat. Yeah. You know, and and because uh, I can, I I know I can handle just about anything. I've been all over the world. I've had all kinds of things happen to me, but I've made it back home. And so when the, I just, like I said, if I'm in motion, I'm fine. Right. And so I just, you know, it's just, I stay in motion. I say, no, I'm going to say, I'm going to handle this problem. You, you don't get to, you don't get to come up into the front seat because I'm going to handle this problem. And whatever that is, my flight's delayed, my flight left without me, whatever it is, you know, you just, you deal with it. And I, I think the other thing is, you know, as you become older, you know, like I said, um, you start to realize that there's, there's very few things in life that aren't correctable. And the only thing you really have to worry about are the things you can't correct, you know, like a disease or cancer, or, you know, something right. like that. Everything else, you know, it, it is what it is. It happens. It's life. And that comes from taking up golf. Exactly. <laughs> it all goes back to golf. <laughs> you know, what my therapist has done for me with my anxiety. She's had me. I don't know if you've heard of this. She's had me have gratitude for the anxiety I've had in my life. I've heard of gratitude, gratitude, uh, like keeping a gratitude journal, you know, right. And all that. Right. But this is a little different. This is about letting the anxiety know that I'm grateful that it thought I had an issue that I'm grateful that it was protecting me and that I needed it and kind of, and now I, now, now I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Anxiety. I'm good. Yeah. Well, you know, you probably read about it. It's sort of like, if we didn't have it, we wouldn't be here because if the cavemen didn't all of a sudden have anxiety attacks when the saber-toothed tiger attacked, they never would have lived because they went to fled. You know, they went to know how to get away. So yeah, every everybody has it to a certain extent. It's just it's um it, it's when it interrupts our our daily lives that it becomes an issue. But but again, I can't tell you the number of people that will say to me. You know, I have low levels of anxiety and you read some books and they make it sound like, you know, the world is falling apart and we're doing all these things wrong because, you know, more people have anxiety than ever before. Well, no, I think it's just more people are willing to talk about it than ever before. And because we're willing to talk about it, we're willing to say, you know, yeah, okay, I have it, but I'm, I deal with it. You know, um, I, I know for some people, some things are, you know, they're really difficult things in their lives, but, um, you know, we all go through it. Yeah. All of us. Situation. That's why, that's why it's not, not just escaping, but reading books and just absorbing words for me. Like it's a comfort. I, I went through a lot of grief last year. And the, when I looked at Ulysses, that was sitting on my table and, you know, I was like a third of the way through it. I looked at that book. Like it was, you know, my wife at the time. And I'm like, I'll be home for you tonight, honey. It yeah. was the best feeling I had in the world. And, yeah. you know, and I, I yeah. still, I, I have those books I'm, I'm in the middle of reading and I'm, and they're sitting there and they're like, I'm here for you when you get home. And I'm like, that's better than making dinner. We're going to have a date. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think you're absolutely correct. I, I listened to Stephen King's fairy tale on the flight home from Florida. I had five hours and, yeah. uh, and it was, it was wonderful to listen to and just, you know, just see the way the story unfolded and came together. And, you know, I closed my eyes and feel like I was there. Um, there's a, there's a comfort that I think we take from books because books aren't bombarding us. Books aren't making us watch. You're not sitting in front of a television and everything's coming at you. Books are an interactive experience. And we choose to say, I want to be a part of this book. I want to be a part of this story. I want to be part of the Lord of the Rings. I want to be part of the Wizard of Oz, you know, whatever it is. You can, you can put yourself in there and say, I, I, I choose to be a part of this and I'm enjoying the experience. Um, my wife will ask me at times at night, you know, well, why don't you want to watch, you know, Yellowstone or why don't you want to, watch? I said, you know, because there's enough, there's enough angst and grief and strife in the world that I want to go to bed happy. Yeah. I want to watch Seinfeld or everybody loves Raymond or, you know, some, some comedy that's funny so I can go to bed with a smile on my face. I think you just knit the nail on the head. We all just want to go to bed with a smile on our face. Yeah. And, and then we want to wake up. Yeah. And it, it's, the, <laughs> it's the little things in life. You know, you find all over the world when you travel is, is people are the same. They yeah. just, they want to, they want to have a good life where they can take care of their family. Right. And, and, you know, practice whatever it is they practice. Um, that's the, that's really the, the, the sad, sad thing for me about what's happening in Ukraine 
is that all of a sudden all these people that were living an ordinary life was completely disrupted. Their their houses are gone, the built communities are gone, the people are gone, there's people are dying. There's it's just it's horrific what's happening because of politics. It drives me nuts. Yeah. So many, so many, so many of those people um they, they don't they don't have that ability anymore. And it, right. it's sad. I think that's the saddest part. It's yeah, it's there. That's I mean, it's it's hard to have a lot of gratitude sometimes too. When we think, wait a second, what do we have gratitude for? Our anxiety. We're not getting bombed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, Robert, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it was a pleasure as always. We we always hit on some interesting topics, don't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Robert Dugoni on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, Her Deadly Game. Next week on the show, we have Tara Eisen. She'll be discussing her new book, At the Hour Between Dog and Wolf. Keep reading. Keep writing. If you're in Los Angeles, come to the Library Workshop on Monday, April 3rd. Go to TonyDuchesne.com for more info on that and the free Zoom writing class coming up. Have a great week, everyone. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.